when I was much younger, I remember a man making the following statement. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, I don't remember who made this comment, and I don't entirely agree with it. As a Christian pastor and a father of four sinful children, I take great comfort in the reality that God is sovereign and he's gracious and he works for his glory and the good of his people in spite of broken and feeble leadership. But friends, while we may not agree with the all-encompassing nature of the quote, we do know how profoundly important good leadership is. We've all seen the devastating consequences of corrupt government leaders. But then we've also watched nations flourish under the rule of good and honest leaders. Some of you have watched your favorite team underachieve and frustrate you. I may or may not have been with one of your pastors yesterday who was in a similar situation. So you've complained about the coaching Believing that better leadership will bring success instead of failure. Undoubtedly, some of you have suffered personally because of poor leadership within a home or a church. Someone who was supposed to protect and love you inflicted great pain and harm upon you. Friends, while everything may not rise and fall on leadership, leadership is incredibly important especially in the church of the Lord Jesus. I want to take the time we have this morning to show you God's good design for leadership within his church. My prayer is that some of you will be comforted by what you hear this morning. Some of you will be challenged and inspired. That some of you will be nudged to pursue leadership. But that all of you will be encouraged as you're reminded, even in this text, of God's love for you in Christ. Before jumping into verses 17 through 38, I want you to see a larger theme that runs through all of Acts chapter 20. It's the theme of encouragement. So take a look at the text, and I want you to see how we're tipped off to this theme by the repeated use of the same word three times in the first 12 verses. You'll find the word translated as encouraging in verse 1, encouragement in verse 2, and then comforted in verse 12. I would suggest to you that the theme of Acts chapter 20 from beginning to end is this. God loves. God loves and therefore relentlessly encourages his people. And he does this in a variety of ways. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, here's what you'll find. Verses 1 through 6, God encourages <clears throat> his people through meaningful relationships. All throughout the book of Acts, why are so many different names mentioned? Why are we introduced to so many different relationships? We're reminded that the people of God are gathered together by God, and within that body of believers, we are given meaningful relationships. In verse 7, God encourages his people through corporate worship. Verses 8 through 12, God encourages his people through miraculous intervention. That crazy story of Eutychus falling out of a window 
during a late night sermon. Verses 13 through 16, God encourages his people through radical generosity. The whole reason Paul was traveling to Jerusalem was to deliver an offering to the struggling Christians there. This was an offering given by members of the churches he's been visiting, all churches made up of new Christians. The final means of encouragement we find in Acts chapter 20 is where we'll spend all of our time this morning. And it's this, God encourages his people through good and godly leadership. God encourages his people through good and godly leadership. Well, we'll find in verses 17 through 38, six characteristics of a godly leader. Now, the primary application of this text is to elders or those aspiring to be elders. But friends, every characteristic of a godly leader that we find in this text should in some way be the aim and the goal of every believer. So I do think there's something for everyone in our text this morning. We'll see these six characteristics of a godly leader, both from Paul's own example and from the instruction he gives to the Ephesian elders. So, characteristic number one. A godly leader is a humble servant. A godly leader is a humble servant. Look again at verses 17 through 19. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I want you to see how Paul's humble service was displayed. And again, this should be true to some degree of all ministry leaders within the church. First, notice that Paul was known by the people he was serving. In this case, the elders of the Ephesian church. You don't get the idea that Paul tried to hide his weakness. That he guarded himself. That he made sure people only ever saw him at his strongest and best. Well, this is a temptation for all of us, but especially those in leadership. And friends, look at the text. Uh, Paul didn't cloister himself away. He was known. <clears throat> he says, I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And then he makes it crystal clear just how accessible and honest he was. These men saw Paul at his most vulnerable. When serving the Lord, Jesus was intensely difficult, so difficult that it brought him to tears. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me make a specific comment about a pastor here. A godly pastor is not some sort of superhuman servant of God who walks through life and ministry unaffected by any difficulty or any opposition. No, a godly pastor battles fear when opposition comes. In difficulty, he often weeps. Sometimes, sometimes he weeps from exhaustion. Other times he 
He weeps because of desperation. He doesn't know what to do. The Ephesian elders had a front row seat as they watched Paul ride the emotional roller coaster of serving Jesus as a leader in the early church. I want to draw your attention as well to a particular phrase in verse 19 because I think this is the key to the first point. <clears throat> Look how verse 19 begins. Serving the Lord with all humility. Every Christian that God places in a position of leadership, especially a pastor, is someone whose primary calling is to serve. It is first to serve the Lord Jesus and then to serve his people. But remember, this calling comes with the promise of sufficient and sustaining grace. God doesn't call you to a specific ministry or task and and then say, good luck. I hope you make it. No. God strengthens you. He sustains you. He gives you grace so that you can accomplish what he's called you to do. This is why Paul says when he is writing to the Colossians, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. In humility, a godly leader serves Christ and his people. In times of weakness and strength, in times of joy and sorrow, in times of weeping and rejoicing, godly leaders are known by the people God has called them to serve. But let me add something else here. As important as it is for leaders to be known by the people they serve, it's also important for those same people to be willing to be known by their leaders. One of the most heartbreaking realities of pastoral ministry is when you find out about a church member that is, that, that's been deeply hurting. They were feeling isolated and discouraged. And yet they, they never let anyone know. Friends, remember that your leaders, your leaders here at Charlotte Chapel are not omniscient. Let them know when you're hurting. Reach out for help. Their desire is to serve you. If a church is to truly become a faith family, then it requires leaders who are willing to be known by the people. And it requires people who are willing to be known by their leaders. Which means what? Well, it means that everybody has to be a little vulnerable. Everybody has to take a risk. But, but friends, this is where we find grace. Vulnerability and risk require humility, and God gives grace to the humble. This brings us to characteristic number two. A godly leader is a bold witness. A godly leader is a bold witness. Look with me again at verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Jesus. 
And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. A godly leader must embrace his fundamental spiritual identity as a sinner saved by grace and then set apart for the ministry of the gospel. Paul expresses this so well in the opening sentence of his greeting to the believers in Rome where he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You see, friends, a leader will shrink back from declaring certain parts of Scripture. And he will, he will crumple when called to be a public witness for Jesus. And he will make excuses why he can't personally spend time with church members, especially difficult ones. He will fall short in all of these ways and many more if he ever forgets that he is fundamentally a servant of Jesus Christ. Called to be a leader of God's people and set apart for the gospel of God. This is what sustains a leader in difficulty. As a leader in the church, if, if, my, <clears throat> if my sense of meaning, worth, and value comes from some sense of popularity, if I, if I begin to crave the idol of affirmation, then I will only tell people what they want to hear. I will only interact with people that tell me what I want to hear. And here's the most frightening part. Instead of calling people, as the text says, to turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus, I will twist the gospel into something more accommodating for people that like to feel good about themselves. Brothers and sisters, I think this is a good reminder. It's a good encouragement for you to pray for your leaders, pray for your pastors. The kind of bold and courageous ministry outlined in verses 23, 20 through 23 is only possible when a pastor's identity is firmly rooted in Christ, when his sense of meaning and worth and value does not come from the affirmation of people, but from sweet communion with God. In this, the Holy Spirit will strengthen and sustain him. The Holy Spirit will assure him that he belongs to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will remind him that the greatest reward for pastoral ministry is not worldly acclaim, but it's heavenly approval. And this concept of identity continues as we move into the third characteristic of a godly leader. Characteristic number three, a godly leader is a selfless disciple. A selfless disciple. Uh, Look at verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
Now I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. A godly leader is one whom God has called to live selflessly. So much so that Paul talks about his life being worth nothing to himself. Uh, We can read that phrase and we can wonder, what does he mean by that? Well, it simply means that Paul wants to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It's not that Paul is devaluing life. He believes in the sanctity of life. But he understands that his life is a gift given to him by God to be spent for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. So it's in this sense that he doesn't account his life of any value. He's willing to lose his life for the sake of Christ and in the service of the people of Christ. And that should be true of everybody. If you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, then you have this one life that God has given to you as a gift. And this life is to be spent, to be poured out, to be invested in bringing God glory and bringing others good. I wonder how many of you have heard of a missionary named John G. Payton or Patton. He was born here in Scotland in 1824. When he was in his 30s, he began to sense that God was calling him to take the gospel where it was needed most the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. Uh, The time came and Patton began making the case for taking the gospel to the New Hebrides in the presence of the leaders of his church. He was hoping for their approval and their blessing. Many of these men still had the memory of two missionaries that were murdered and eaten just 19 years earlier. At one point, a Mr. Dixon yelled out to Patton as he was making his case. The cannibals. You will be eaten by cannibals. I want you to hear how Patton responded. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, a godly leader is the kind of selfless disciple who says, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me. Listen to Paul's words again in verse 24. And I hope these will be your prayer. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task The Lord Jesus has given me 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, the purpose of my life, Paul says, is to fulfill the ministry God has given me. And that ministry is to faithfully declare the gospel. Likewise, friends, and and let me speak directly again to elders or those aspiring to be elders. Your calling, your calling from God is not to offer your opinion. It's not to share your unique insights. It's not to comment on every passing controversy. No, God has called you like he called Paul. And like he calls every elder to do one thing over and above all others. And that is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God from all of Scripture. By God's grace, Paul obeyed, which is why he could say in verses 25 through 27, Now I know that none none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And then he says this, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Friends, the chief task of a good and godly leader is to be a good disciple of Jesus. To know his word and to teach it to others. In that way, the the calling is pretty simple. Uh, This brings us to characteristic number four. A godly leader is a loving protector. We see this in verses 28 through 31. And again, this is generally true for all leaders, but this is a very direct word to pastors. So, So let me speak as directly as the text does. There's, there's much to say here that connects to what we've already talked about. A pastor's identity and primary allegiance is to God. It is the Holy Spirit that makes him an overseer. But I want you to think about this idea of an elder as a loving protector. We see this in two ways in verses 28 through 31. First, a pastor is called to lovingly protect a congregation from himself. A pastor is called to lovingly protect a congregation from himself. Look at verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. That's that's such strong and beautiful language. right? To the elders of the church, God has entrusted you with something very precious. Something that required the blood of Jesus. This is why you must watch over yourself. An elder will care well for a congregation by keeping watch over himself. This is what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the young pastor Timothy, urging him, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. A vibrant spiritual life and a persevering faith will not happen by accident. It's something that a pastor must cultivate. It requires effort and intentionality. In all of his spiritual activity, a pastor must tend to his own soul. He must feed on Christ and become satisfied with the glories and excellencies of the Lord Jesus. He must do this for his own good 
and for the protection of the flock. And brothers and sisters, as many of you well know, there are few things that bring as much harm and hurt to the body of Christ as an elder who fails to keep a close watch over himself. It was Richard Baxter who warned pastors, take heed to yourselves because the tempter will make his first or sharpest onset upon you. If you will be the leaders against him, he will spare you no further than God restrains him. He bears you the greatest malice that are engaged in doing him the greatest harm. Take heed, therefore, brethren, for the enemy has a special eye upon you. Brothers and sisters, I hope that serves as a call for you to pray. Pray for God's protection over the leaders of this church. A pastor is called to lovingly protect a congregation from himself, but second, he is called to lovingly protect a congregation from others. Specifically, others who attack the church. Look at verses 29 through 31. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you. Night and day with tears. Friends, Paul calls the elders to be alert to attacks from outside the church and from inside. He, he warns that wolves will try to infiltrate the church with the intent to devour and destroy God's people. But he also warns of another danger. Some who are already in the church will rise up and speak twisted things, or we might say distortions of the truth. And in so doing, this errant leader will entice a group of church members to follow him. This is why consistent and courageous word ministry is so important. This is one of the things I, I love about this church and I've been so challenged with. The only way for Christians to be equipped to stand against destructive leaders and discern errant teaching is by knowing and loving and treasuring the word of God. I want you to notice something frightening in this text. Look at verse 30 again. How does it begin? A warning about those who will distort the truth and deceive God's people. Paul indicates that this dangerous and divisive leader may very well, it may very well be one of the elders sitting before him as he speaks. Verse 30, even from your own number. Brothers and sisters, this is a needed reminder. Don't put your hope in any leader. Don't put your hope in any pastor. Stay closely tethered to the word of God. But place your hope entirely in the Lord Jesus. Now, I do encourage you to joyfully follow biblically qualified elders who labor well in preaching and teaching. Those who live according to the word of God and walk in humility. 
but don't put your hope in them. They will fail you. They will disappoint you. Put your hope in Christ alone. Let me quickly give you the fifth characteristic of a godly leader. A godly leader is a biblical thinker. We see this in verses 32 through 35. The text says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, there's so much that we could talk about here, but let me mention one thing briefly. I want you to see here the emphasis on the word of God. First, in verse 32, Paul commends the Ephesian elders to God and to the word of his grace. You see, Paul has become convinced from Scripture that what people need to grow is not his presence, it's not his wisdom, but they need more of God They need more of God's word, specifically the word of his grace, the gospel. Friends, you'll never reach a point in your life where you've had too much scripture, where you've been reminded of the gospel too many times. No, you need it over and over and over again. In this sense, the task of the pastor is quite simple. This is why Charles Spurgeon once defended his constant preaching of the gospel by saying this. And this this should be the mindset. This should be the approach. This should be the commitment that you want in your elders. Listen to what Spurgeon said. I received some years ago orders from my master to stand at the foot of the cross until he came. He has not come yet, but I mean to stand there till he does. If I should disobey his orders and leave those simple truths which have been the means of the conversion of souls, I know not how I could expect his blessing. Here then I stand at the foot of the cross and and I tell out the old, old story, stale though it sound to itching ears. And worn threadbare as critics may deem it. It is of Christ I love to speak. Of Christ who loved and lived and died. The substitute for sinners. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. A godly leader's confidence should be in the Word of God and his thinking should be shaped by the Word of God. Notice again verse 35. Paul says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is something you could pass over quickly. But it reminds me of of this reality. Paul looked at life through the eyes of Jesus. Through careful and committed study, his thinking had been pressed into Scripture's mold. Uh, 
Well, the, the same should be true for any church leader. If you're leading in the church, you should be so acquainted with the Word of God that you, you see everything through the lens of Scripture. Again, there's, there's more that could be said there, but let's, let's move to the final characteristic of a godly leader. Characteristic number six, a godly leader is an affectionate mentor. A godly leader is an affectionate mentor. Look at verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Friends, in these final three verses, I think we see the affection Paul has for other leaders. These Ephesian elders were very dear to him. He's invested so much in them. I love how he's teaching them to the very end, even if it's simply by his actions. It's it's pretty simple what the text lays out. Paul prays, Paul weeps, Paul leaves. But when Paul prays, he, he bows before God and he intercedes on behalf of his Ephesian brothers. When Paul weeps, he he weeps because these brothers have served each other. They've grown to love and respect each other. Saying goodbye was painful and it was difficult. But this is what godly leaders do. They invest in others. And then they launch them out for the strengthening of the church and the spread of the gospel. This is one of the things we've enjoyed over the last couple of days as we traveled down to Hoyk to visit with Martin and his family. Liam and Adam were with us and we saw the relationship that exists between these brothers. It is a, it is a dear and special relationship. As we spent time at the Garvey's home the other night and the pastors in training were there and we, we saw the relationship that God is building between them Brothers and sisters, be grateful for a church that is willing to invest in leaders and then send out those gifted and equipped leaders to go and take the gospel to the nations. You're doing what the church has always done. How did the gospel spread in the early church? Well, it it spread through this same formula. Make disciples who make disciples. Invest in leaders, send them out to preach the gospel through local churches. You're doing the same thing here. So let me encourage you, it's not always easy. I'm sure it's, it's been hard to see some families go out from here. And yet this is good work. This is godly work. Because this is gospel work. Now... In closing, I, I hope you've been able to see from this biblical portrait that godly leaders are a gift from God's hand. I hope you'll treasure 
the leaders you have. I hope some of you will be, be nudged toward leadership. This is a high and holy calling. So while I do want you to see and embrace the, the godly leaders that you have as a gift from God's hand, I, I don't want to leave you this morning simply giving thanks for the gift. But I want you to leave marveling at the giver. Leave marveling at the giver and his greatest gift. I want your heart to be full of gratitude for the gift of godly leaders. But there is another gift far greater. There is only one leader who will never fail you. He will never disappoint you. You can trust everything he ever said. In fact, you can trust him with your life. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, God's own son. Friends, I want to invite you this morning to follow him. And Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friend, if you'll turn to Jesus in faith this morning, confessing your sin to him, submitting to him as the son of God and Lord of your life, he will give you rest. The rest that you've been searching for, and, and it seems so elusive, you can find it in Jesus. You can find it now and forever. Let's pray.